have a plan implemented and then understand that it's not going to be what you expect and then be like cool with the new thing that life gives you. Welcome to the Productivities Podcast. It's me, Mike Vardy, and on the program this time around, I'm joined by Misha Gluberman. Misha has a course called How to Talk to People About Things. He is the co-author of the book, The Chairs Are Where the People Go, which The New Yorker named one of its top nonfiction books of 2011. And there are a lot of interesting things that we get into during this conversation, which we recorded several months back, but I'm glad to get it out there to you now. I mean, he he teaches communication skills and he runs meetings and conferences for organizations hosts live events and speaks at conferences this this conversation i think it's not only a testament to what he's done but what we can also look forward to uh as this episode is being released we're on the tail end or so it seems of of covid19 and the pandemic so i want you to take this episode and listen to it with that uh that optimism in mind and and what we have to look forward to when we can all start to get back together again, I know I'm planning on hosting a live event in September of 2022, and I'll share more on that in the future. But right now, what I want to share with you is this conversation with Misha Gluberman here on the Productivityist podcast. Just before we jumped on the call, I said, you know, I was reading the book that you, you kind of, it, it was about you in a lot in a, a lot of respects. Yeah. It was called <laughs> the, the Chairs Are Where the People Go. And just before we we jumped on, um, mm-hmm. you, you said to me, like, Mike, that book, how old is that book, Misha? Tell me how long ago that book was written. <laughs> I think I think it's about 10, a little over 10 years ago. So just uh, as as we, you know, we're in a new year now, a new calendar year, and mm-hmm. um, things change, right? So first thing I want to talk about is... <laughs> that's, like, that's like the understatement of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what what's changed between the book... And like where you were in the book, because there's lots of fascinating stories. You know, you talk about improv and, and your your own thoughts. Uh, and, and there's some really interesting. I mean, I love reading books where it's like little short, almost not essays, but like just blips and thoughts and things and insights. And what's what do you think has changed between when this book was published and where you're at now? Like where, who is Misha now compared to who you mentioned? Cha- you mean what's changed in the world or what's well, no, no, for you, me, for you, for you. Oh man, a lot. I mean, a lot happened in the intervening 10 years and then a lot happened just in the last year since mm-hmm. the book because I mean, in the last year since the pandemic and everything. But I mean, I wrote that book when um, I was, a, I was, a, I was, a, I don't know, th- that book is a book, I, I guess probably most people listening to this haven't read the book, although they should. Um, the book is, I mean, when I wrote that book, that book is sort of about a lot of work I was doing in Toronto at the time where I live, where I still live. Um, and a lot of the work that I was doing there was sort of um, work in the arts and in a kind of, uh, there was a kind of social world that was happening in Toronto around social work, around social stuff around the arts. And so a lot of that book, a lot of the book sort of describes that world. What's happened in my life since then is I'm like 10 years older and my life is a bit more of a professional life. Um, I still have uh, some connection to that arts world in Toronto, but a lot more of what I do now is just um, is work helping people communicate better and talk about difficult issues at work, at home, that kind of stuff. So I'm a, I'm a bit more of a grown up. And then and I have a kid. I have a family. I didn't have those things when I wrote the book. See, it's, it's fascinating because my... I would say 10 years ago that I was doing uh, comedy and I was doing, mm-hmm. I was just getting out of that world, getting, you know, yep. getting into the productivity space. I, you know, I, we had my first daughter uh, or my, my, well, my only daughter and we had my son uh, 10 years ago, uh, a little mm-hmm. over 10 years ago. So, I mean, it's, it's fascinating that, that things can change, but like you said earlier, what in the last year, 
uh, lots of lot lots of stuff has has changed. Um, yeah. What one of the things you've been focusing on is as COVID nineteen, and I know we try to keep we try to keep this uh, you know podcast as timeless as possible. But um, the the thing about a <laughs> thing about the pandemic is it 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 didn't exactly come and go. Right, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's trying to keep itself as timeless as possible, sadly, too. That's what the virus seems to be doing. So what that's something that you've 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 taken on the building connection and, and communicating during this this you know, yeah. this this time, right? So what what led you to that? What 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 made you say, you know, this is something I really wanna I wanna focus on? To focus on building connection during the pandemic. Yeah, thing? yeah. I was um I don't know. It was really interesting. Those first couple of weeks of the pandemic, which are now a long time ago, it's hard to remember them and it's hard to remember them, how we perceive them. But I think one thing I saw in a lot of people, it happened to me and it happened to a lot of people too, is a lot of people, it kind of upped their energies for certain kind of stuff and up their energies for thinking about what mattered and stuff like that. Um, and I think we forget, like in the first couple of weeks in the pandemic, there was this sense of like, like now we're all sort of tired. You know, we're right, all, like yeah. the fact of the time it's like, oh man, this is exhausting. But in the first couple of weeks, what we were, we sort of like terrified. Like, or at least a lot of people, there's a mm-hmm. sense of like, oh my God, we're all going to die. Like what's happening. And having that experience, I think for a lot of people led them to a lot of people I know, um, led them to sort of think about what, what they really mattered. And I re- what really mattered. I remember in that time thinking like, oh, okay, like maybe something really terrible is happening in the world. Like maybe this is like the start of a, you know, a world war or something like that. And one of the things I really remember thinking really explicitly was I was like, ah, oh, you know, you kind of look back on world war II and I run a business, I run a small business. And I kind of thought, oh, you know, you look back on World War II and there are probably some, there's probably some guy you can point to and be like, you know, that guy, he really figured out how to make his business be successful during World War II. And then there's some other guy you can look at and be like, you know, that guy, he figured out how to be really helpful in the world during World War II. And I was like, I would like to be the second guy. Like, I don't <laughs> want to be the guy who's like, you know, I was like, that seems like a good, a good thing to do. And so I kind of looked at it. I was like, well, what, what does the world need and what do I know how to do? And at the time, and still, I think, people were like, wow, this is really scary. We feel really isolated. And I was like, well, what do I know how to do? I know how to build community. And I'm pretty good with computers. So I thought, well, I'll just start trying to do that and start figuring out what we can do on, you know, using online tools and using Zoom and using all those tools that everyone was hating. Mm. But to sort of say, like, what can we actually do to make, to have that be sources of meaningful connection? So I spent a lot of, so in the first couple of, first, you know, couple of months of the pandemic, a lot of my time was spent just doing one after another, these kinds of online experiments to get people together to try to see if people could build meaningful connection and feel less isolated using those tools and sort of bypass that, you know, harness the strengths of those tools and get around the weaknesses of them. So that's what, that was what I did. That's the long answer to a short question. And that to that end, I mean, people have been, uh, you know, thrust into using, you know, Zoom yeah. and all these tools. How do you make, I mean, and I think this is this is a challenge people are going to face going forward anyway, because now that there's a familiarity around these tools, how do yeah. you make it so that it is not something that is um, drudgery or just rote? You know what I mean? Like, it, it, yeah, how do, how do you make it engaging? Because there's lots of virtual events that are happening. People just everyone went that way. Right. They had to. They had no choice. Sure. Yeah, yeah, no... How do you make it so that it, it you know, you've got this interesting, unique experience or like what what? goes into that is that is you know, that's something that i i i've been seeking because otherwise it just seems like okay here's oh it's just another zoom call or oh it's just another virtual conference or, or what have you i'm curious what what have you been seeing in virtual con- can i ask you what have you sure. been seeing in virtual conferences that's ta- that's boring you well i think i mean i think what's happened uh, what i've seen is it, it, the online summits that existed before 
Mm -hmm. um, no one really challenged how to take the offline experience because I loved going to you know San Diego and 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 uh, uh, you know Austin and places like that to be around people and have the energy of the of that experience um, when when you'd actually go to conferences and what I've seen is just a a, a a massive amount of online summits that are still doing what online summits always did, but with this idea like, hey, this is how events happen now. Like, this is just what it is. There's no inventiveness. There's no, no I, I don't see people trying to recapture or even even try to like say, you know, get the energy that you could get from being in a live environment. And, and that's something that I don't know. I don't know if we can get it, but I'd like to see people try maybe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because otherwise it just seems like, a waste. I mean, it, it seems like it's not a good use of your time. People often have, I've seen lots of people say, well, why, you know, P Stephen Pressfield is like, don't go to workshops. Don't go to like going to conferences. You know, some people go there just to say that they're doing something, but in often cases it's, it, they don't, you know, like some yeah. people just, but now that they're, you know, there's a screen and you're staying at home. It's like, okay, well now, you know, is it even less worth, you know, worthy of my time? And I want, I want these things to be worthwhile. Do you meet people when you go to real world conferences? Do you make valuable connections with people at those Absolutely. conferences? Absolutely, that's the reason I go. I think it's the magic in the hallways and the magic in the middle that happens. I mean, when yes. you go to virtual, have you met? Have you have you made a lot of oh, connections at virtual conferences? Virtual conferences, to? not so much because it, okay. it's because there's this there's this. Uh, so that's the problem. Yeah, that's the problem. That so that seems to me to be the problem that. So if that's your so, so that that helps me because the problem that you report anecdotally from your experience, I can I can take your problem. I'm gonna like. Sure. Just boil it down to two sentences. What I'm going to get from two sentences is when I go to real conferences, I feel the presence of other people and it's exciting. And in terms of actually useful outcome, I meet people. I make connections at them. And when I go to virtual conferences, though, things don't happen. Is that is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, it, it, yeah, definitely. So that's a problem you can design for, I think. Like if you're putting on a, I mean, you can sort of design for it as an attendee. That's harder. But you can design for it a lot as a conference designer. And I think people don't. And mm. I and I think people actually don't. Um. I think people don't design for that very well with um, online conferences. And I think the deep, dark secret is I think people actually don't design that very well for real life conferences either, for in-person conferences either. They're just lucky that it kind of works out, even right. though they don't design for it. Um, so, so one of the things that I do a lot with conferences is when I work with people who organize conferences, what I try to impress upon them and this is both online and offline, but let's focus on the online case, mm -hmm. I think, because that seems more relevant. What I try to impress upon them is that when you're designing a conference, it's really easy to think that the conference is about, um, the, for instance, the content, that the conference is about like who the speakers are going to be and what they're going to talk about. And then if there's a live conference, you also think the conference is about the chicken, you know, like about like the like you're like, let's make sure the meals are really good and let's make sure the space looks really nice mm -hmm. and let's figure out who the speakers are. And all that stuff's great. But the belief that I have is that for most people where the real value of conference lies is in the connections that they create with people. And a, pro a huge problem you can make in conference design is designing the conference and as if all those other things were the main function. And that's especially even more true, I think, for an online conference, that if I'm going to go to an online conference, if, if, if what I'm looking for is interesting, informative video to watch, mm -hmm. and I'm sitting at my desk, at my computer, there is literally a lifetime's worth of interesting, informative video to watch. Like for you to say, hey, Misha, we're going to throw a conference. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to give you seven hours of interesting, informative video. I'm like, <laughs> I really, that's not, except in very special situations, that's not, a, that's not a problem I have in my life is a shortage of interesting, informative video of professional interest to me. Like there's an infinite amount of it. What you need to do is help me meet people who I want to meet and who want to meet me 
and uh, you can do that, but you have to really design for it. And so a lot of that just means building in lots and lots and lots of structures where um, you turn your participants to each other, where you get people to talk to each other and where you, um, and you need to design both uh, technologically and socially. So you want to um, have technologies that allow people to talk to each other and meet each other and find each other in whatever formats work best for them. I, I love video. I love small group video stuff, but I've also seen people do good stuff with chat and good stuff with that. I think as a supplement to video, I think you need the video for that actual feeling you've met someone. And then also doing the social design that makes it possible for people to do things like find the people who share their interests, make it easy for them to, to for people who might want to talk to each other, to find each other, to make it easy for them to stay in touch with each other, to give them to give them social permission to leave conversations that are boring, all that kind of stuff. So you can design for all of it, but I would say 99% of conferences don't, don't do anything. Why do you think that, is it just because it's hard? Is that why? Is it hard to do? Or is it, is it, um, is it, is it hard to measure the ROI of it? Like why? Cause I, I, I think there's opportunity there. You've meant, you've said so. And, and I believe that, but why, why do you think they don't, do you know, that. it's funny. I have, I have very strong opinions that I think are really right about how a conference should be run. Mm -hmm. I have only stabs in the dark as to why it is the conference as, as to this question that you ask about why people don't do that. Yeah. I think, I think there's a few things. I think from the point of view of organizers, I think for any of us in almost any, I mean, I teach communication. I think that one of the biggest things in communication is always true is like, Oh, it's really hard to see things from the other guy's point of view. It's just always mm -hmm. really hard to like, Whatever you're doing, it's really hard to think about how it is for other people. So if you're throwing it, I don't know why this example is in my head. It's a weird example, but it's relevant. It's, re it's very relevant to conferences. Maybe mm -hmm. If you're throwing a dinner party and like you're making dinner for people, and you're making a dinner party and like, uh, you know, you make the roast and you make like this potato salad and then like the potato salad is supposed to have dill in it and you run out of dill and you make the potato salad without dill. You're, if you're a normal person, what you're going to be is like, I'm like, oh man, there's supposed to be dill in the potato salad. Like crap, like this, you know. Mm -hmm. No guest's experience is actually going to be diminished by the fact that there's not dill in the potato salad. But be, like from them, that doesn't matter. They're there to have a nice time, talk to each other, have a drink or two. But for you, all those details feel super duper important. Right. As a conference organizer, I think you're in a similar position where like you're going to be really worried about like, you know, oh, does it make sense to put this speaker before that speaker or after that speaker? Or how are we going to get that guy in from Denver in time? Or, you know, is the chicken going to be good? Like all of those things, you're thinking about all those things. And so they seem really important. And like you say too about, about measurables, you can see them all. Right. So you can see the speaker going up on stage. You can see the music coming up. You can see the decorations you put in the room. But the most important thing that happens in the conference is the conversation that happens in the hallway or even not in the hallway, on, in the airport, on the way home. After the conference is technically over, two people who are at the conference meet at the, you know, meet on the plane. And they're like, oh my God, I saw you in that thing. You know, all that stuff which is the really valuable stuff is also not so visible to you. And it's also out of your control mm -hmm. a little bit. So I think it's harder. And then I also think, so that's one reason there are things that are really, really, really important to us as humans that it's hard for us to say are important to us as humans. So I think, and I, and I think one example of that is our need for connection. Um, so I think the reality is that for most of us in our work, we need connection with other people. And we need, we need connection partly because it's how we learn and get good at our work. And partly because we need it emotionally, because for our work to feel satisfying and rewarding and, and well integrated in our lives, we, we need to feel connected to other people. Um, but I think our culture doesn't super duper encourage us to say that. So I think it's hard for a conference to say, 
you know, so it's easy for a conference to say, you know, what's going to happen. They're going to be these learning outcomes. You're going to come to this conference and you're going to learn these seven skills. And we can all be like, yes, that's clearly important to me. I need seven skills. But if a conference say, listen, you're going to come to this conference and you're going to like meet four people who are people in your field who are going to become dear friends and colleagues, that somehow feels like something you shouldn't be spending $2,000 for, even though in fact, it's much more valuable. I mean, if you look at the actual value, just in terms of like what you care about as a person or even what's going to help you make more money, mm -hmm. having good, strong relationships with people who share your interests and you care about is going to be much more valuable. But we tend to undervalue that. It doesn't feel... Well, we but also we also don't that. know if we don't see the payoff right away. I mean, I went to the World Domination yeah. Summit years ago, years mm -hmm. ago, the first one, and I was going regularly. Yeah. And the connections that I built there, the friendships, the the, I mean, the the ROI. You, if you want to yeah. use that, term, you don't see it right away, but it yeah. it compounds, right? Like, I mean, I can connect with, uh, you know, James Clear. I met James Clear at the first World Domination Summit. Right. We had drinks at the Ace Hotel. I was there when they were doing handstands outside like that. You know, I mean, that's before James Clear wrote Atomic Habits, all that stuff. So you don't yeah. know. You just don't know. But the connecting with people in those um, wouldn't say yeah. mundane things, but those those activities that fall outside of the parameters of of the conference, per se, um, they're they're so massive. Yeah. No. And I like that idea. I like that idea of those payoffs. I mean, one of the things I'm very aware of is as humans, for most of us we really, really, really have a bias toward, like an, an an unfortunate bias towards payoffs that are certain, near-term, and clear, whereas it would often serve us better to pursue things that are um, more uncertain, more long-term, and maybe a little more unclear. So that's a really great example. You're like, yeah, I meet this person, you know, yeah, you know, I, I attended this workshop and I learned these three skills and I could be like, yeah, now I know these three skills or these skills, skills these three facts. I could have also learned them from a web page in three minutes, but I did learn them. I can be like, yep, I know that. Mm -hmm. Bam. Whereas like, oh, I met these eight people. I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen? But of course, you meet eight people every once in a while. The next thing you know, you've got this amazing network of people and it's the most important thing in your life, you know? Yeah, it's it's, but it also might not be. That's the truth. That's well, and that's the hard thing, both for the organizers as the, and the attendees. That if if I teach a workshop and I'm like, here are the seven learning points, you'd be like, yeah, I got all seven learning points. But if you run a thing where it's like, yeah, you might make some friends, you also might not. <laughs> I can't guarantee that you're going to make a friend. I can guarantee you to talk to people. Can't guarantee you're going to love them or stay in touch. You know. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. All right, we're going to take a break from my conversation with Misha to talk about our sponsors. I know what I like to look at. I'm sure you do too. And when I'm building 
assets for the Productivityist brand and for my work and, you know, things like thumbnails, opt-ins, this podcast artwork, the podcast artwork that you're looking at as you stare at your device or look at your desktop to listen to me talk about the tools that I use and the conversations that I have and all that stuff. I, I just want to make sure that they look great. And I don't have the experience to make that happen on my own. I'm not trained in that area. I don't have the budget necessarily to do that either. And I certainly don't have the time. But with Canva Pro, I'm able to take all of that stuff to the next level. I am absolutely elated that Canva Pro has decided to sponsor the podcast because really Canva Pro is the easy to use design platform that has everything you need to design like a pro. So whether you're a professional designer or just getting started, Canva Pro really can help you boost you and your team's productivity, which is super important, and creativity, which is equally important because I'm a creative person. It's really quick, easy, and it's affordable. It's it, All of this will help you take your design to the next level and design whatever you need. I mean, there's the ability to have a brand kit. There's an ability to just say, hey, you know what? I have my assistant that I want you to build some really great podcast artwork or this great asset that we're going to download, for example, for the Big Ready, uh, for any, any of the stuff that I want to share with people like you. We get it done in Canva Pro. I can say what I want to look at. I can say what I want it to be like. And it doesn't take as much effort to make that happen inside of Canva Pro. So no matter what you're creating and sharing, Canva Pro has everything you need in one place. There's a collection of over 75 million premium photos, videos, audio, and graphics inside of Canva Pro. Plus, Canva Pro comes with time-saving tools that simplify and speed up the creative process. You can get all of this and more in just one Canva Pro subscription. I am a Canva Pro subscriber, have been before they joined on as a sponsor. Like I said, I was elated when they decided to jump on board. And my favorite feature, honestly, especially since I'm working with a lot of other people, is to have the brand kit in there. So I can easily share what our colors look like, our typography, all of that inside of Canva Pro. That's something that uh, you normally get when you work with a graphics uh, organization or an agency or something like that. It's inside Canva Pro. It makes it so easy to have different members of my team go in and they know where to go to get the assets they need to build the designs that we want. There's no idea that's too big or too small for Canva Pro. And if you want to save time, be creative, be productive all at the same time with a variety of features at your disposal, you're going to want to take advantage of Canva Pro and you're going to want to take advantage of this offer. So right now, I want you to design like a pro with Canva Pro. So right now, what you can do is get a free 45-day extended trial when you use my promo code. Just go to canva.me slash timecrafting to get your free 45-day extended trial. That's C-A-N-V-A dot M-E slash timecrafting. You're seriously going to fall in love with what Canva Pro can do for you, your team, your designs, your creativity, your productivity, and more. So again, go to canva.me slash timecrafting and take advantage of this free 45-day extended trial right now. As I mentioned off the top of this episode, 2021 is looking up. There's new beginnings, and that means new opportunities to grow your business. Now, if part of your strategy is adding new members to your team, well, LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right person quickly. And to make things better, your first job post is absolutely free. 
LinkedIn Jobs is the first place I go to now because it's super familiar. The platform is LinkedIn. I, I want to spend more time on LinkedIn. And the fact that I can find the right people, the right candidates for the job that I'm looking for inside of LinkedIn through LinkedIn Jobs makes it an indispensable tool for me. So here are some of the benefits of LinkedIn Jobs. First off, LinkedIn is an active community of professionals with more than 722 million members worldwide. That's a lot of people. And getting started is easier than ever because there's new features that help you find qualified candidates quickly. You can post a job with targeted screening questions and LinkedIn will quickly get your role in front of more qualified candidates. You can manage job posts and contact candidates from a single view on the, as I mentioned, familiar LinkedIn.com. So functions, they're all streamlined onto one simple screen. That makes it super simple and productive to use LinkedIn jobs as the place to find the candidates you're looking for to take your business to the next level. And now you can do all of this from your mobile device as well, no matter where the day takes you. That's how LinkedIn jobs can help you find the right person faster and hire them. When your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. And now you can post a job for free. All you need to do is visit linkedin.com slash timecrafting. Again, that's linkedin.com slash timecrafting to post a job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Don't delay. Take advantage of this opportunity today. Go to linkedin.com slash timecrafting and post that job for free today. All right, we're going to slow things down for a second here so that you can ask yourself this question, which is a question that I ask myself quite regularly. Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a, it's a piece of technology standing in your way or a set of circumstances that is constantly happening for you, but maybe you're feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you are having some issues that need resolve that needs some form of resolution so that you can move forward and and get things out of the way so that nothing is really interfering with your happiness. Well, I can say from personal experience that there are moments where I feel that something is getting in my way. And sometimes that's me, right? And it, sometimes it's a variety of things. And I have to say that BetterHelp has helped me figure a lot of that stuff out because BetterHelp assessed my needs and they matched me with my own licensed professional therapist, and they can do the same for you. One of the great things about BetterHelp, among the many, is that you can start communicating in under 48 hours with your matched therapist, and you can connect in a safe and private online environment. It's really convenient. Now, I want you to keep in mind that BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's, it's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There's a variety of ways for you to connect with your counselor. You can send a message to them anytime. And you can also schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And by the way, you get timely and thoughtful responses when you do connect with your counselor. And you can do this all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. You can do this from the comfort of your own home, which may... In my case, I can tell you, help me open up a little bit more. The comfort factor has definitely helped me open up more when I'm dealing with my BetterHelp counselor. And BetterHelp, by the way, is also committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So what they do is they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. That could be a result of time zone uh, instances, things like that. I know I've had to make that happen, and it was a frictionless process. BetterHelp is also more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. The service is available for clients worldwide. You know I'm in Canada. 
I've got access to BetterHelp. And you can find the particular expertise you need online, so you don't have to limit yourself to the counselors located near you. There are licensed professional counselors who are specialized in things like self-esteem, anxiety, sleeping, anger, depression, and so much more. With BetterHelp, anything that you share is confidential. BetterHelp is convenient. BetterHelp is professional. BetterHelp is affordable. And there are so many people that have been using BetterHelp as of late that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today because when you're happier, you're going to be more productive. And as a listener of the Productivity is Podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash timecrafting. Join over 1 million people, myself included, who have taken charge of their mental health. Head to betterhelp.com slash timecrafting and take advantage of that discount that you get as a listener of the Productivity is Podcast today. The future is happening now and now and now. That's right. The future is constantly approaching. And I'm putting together a free three-day challenge to help you forge the future that you want. All you need to do is join me for this free challenge from March 26th to March 28th by going to productivityist.com slash forge your future. Your future is important. It matters to me. It matters to you. I want you to have the best future possible. And this free three-day challenge is going to help you make that happen. All you need to do to sign up for this challenge is go to productivityist.com slash forge your future. I'd love to see you there. And now let's get back to the show. When I did the big ready, um, in February, 2020, I had a definitive idea of what I wanted it to look like. Mm -hmm. And during the event, I can remember distinctly how, why I was watching, it was, it was small. And I remember thinking, oh man, I'm disappointed. This is small. I wanted more people here. But then as I watched the event unfold and I remember just kind of looking out as people were doing some work for a, like an exercise in a workshop that uh, Marie Poulin was, was doing, I thought, no, this is what it's supposed to be. Yeah. It was really weird. How many people were at it? Uh, There's only 40. Yeah. But it was, it was just, it felt like I'm like, okay, this is what this, I had this in mind and this is what it was supposed to be. And it, it, it just immediately as I, as I kind of came to that conclusion, or just came to that realization, everything lifted. Like it just felt yeah. like all of that. And it was because of what was going on with the people that were there. Yeah. No, I think that's, and that's a beautiful example too of like the host minds, like getting stuck in the, in the organizer mindset where it's like, you think like, man, I was hoping for 200 people. This thing looks pathetic. People who show up didn't know you're ho- looking, you know, no. if you don't tell them, they don't know. They're just, there's 40 people. 40 people is still more people than I can meet in two days. So if you're running a two day event, 40 people's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, yep. 40 people's a lot of people. Yep. You know? Yep. And, it, and I mean, I guess this lends back to some of the stuff you talked about in the book, about improv, like I knew going into that event, I'm like, well, no matter what I, I can improvise. I'm an actor. I mean, I can, yeah. I'm not going to be that person going up there. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm going to, you know, do the yes. And, and this is the offer that's been get, like, I'm going to yeah. follow that back. And it, you know, it just worked to the point where yeah. people at the end of the event, I had actually said, cause I was only going to host it, um, every, uh, every four years on leap day. And I said, mm-hmm. well, you know, we come back together for you. And they're like, what? 
we we have to wait for like it was almost like yeah. oh wait hold on sorry <laughs> yep. and and sure enough we're gonna do it again right like it was one of those sure. things where where uh, it, it, I felt like this was what the event needed to be and and it made it worth all the more worthwhile yeah 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 that's great that's awesome and that's a big thing too I mean I think another thing too is like the more I mean, one thing I'm still, I think I'm still learning thought, like I did improv for a long time. So I know this stuff from doing improv on stage, but I think I'm still learning this stuff really slowly in like life. But like the lesson I feel that life teaches me like again and again and again and again and again is that the way to make amazing things happen is to like have a plan implemented and then understand that it's not going to be what you expect and then be like cool with the new thing that life gives you, you know, and to understand like how much, you know, so so as an example of that, you now have this like beautiful, gorgeous annual 40 person event. That's not the event you were trying to make, but like, but of course it's not like you can't like all the learning in life happens by the interaction between like your brain and the world. And mm-hmm. I think we're, and again, I think in our culture, we're very inclined to think like, no, 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 we'll just, we can do it all in our brain. You know, we will plan out the entire conference. Yeah. And then it will happen the way it happened in our meetings when we thought about it and talked about it, but nothing actually happened. It's like, no, 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 that's not what, that's not how reality works. Or reality, the way reality works is like, you know, and I think people are getting better at that about rapid prototyping and minimal viable products and like experimenting and doing all those kinds of things where it's like, no, no, let's take a tiny idea and throw it against the wall and see what happens. And learning to be more like that, I think is really helpful. Well, and I think one of the things that the pandemic has had to teach us, and if we didn't learn this lesson, then who? is um, good luck engineering certainty in, yeah. in in uncertain circumstances. I mean, we've had yeah. to embrace it, right? Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it's been a really interesting time for that. Like, I think practically every person, I mean, I, mean, I probably shouldn't generalize, but like so many people and organizations and teams and institutions have had to do more innovation and adaptation in the last seven months than they did normally in a five-year or 10-year period. And it'll be really interesting to see like when the pandemic's all over, what that does for people. Because a big part of me thinks that, an optimistic part of me, I suppose, hopes that a consequence of this is that we will all learn to be better at that, like to be better at change and to be better at trying new stuff and to be better at, you know, here's a story that sticks in my mind from the pandemic. It's a story my dad told me about a friend of his who was a piano teacher and she teaches these group classes for kids and i think like that a bunch of times people are like hey have you ever thought of teaching the classes online and she's like now nah, doesn't i don't really want to do that i mean teaching in person is so good like i want to teach in person and i need that connection and she had a million reasons she don't want to do it online then the pandemic hit and she moved the classes online and what she discovered within a half an hour was that teaching a group piano class to kids online is immeasurably better than teaching it in person in like a thousand ways because she can see, she can see every kid's hands at the same time while she can see it, while she can show them her hands. Like, it was just like, it was like, oh my God, it's incredible. And I think we all have, I mean, I know that I have two stories that are like that, but just not quite as clear where it's like, there was some 30 minute experiment that she could have done that was available to her all the time. Like, it wasn't like it never occurred to her. People are like, Hey, why don't you try this? She's like, nah, it would take 30 whole minutes. I'm not going to take that. Like completely transformed how she, her professional practice worked. And I think for many of us we're like, you know, there's things like that. I think that if you were to say to people in February, like, hey, here's an idea. What if every single office in the world just told everybody to start working from home on no notice? 
Like, how would that go? And we'd be like, oh, society would collapse. But guess what? It didn't. Everything kept running. Yep. Like, everything was fine. It turned out. And if we were and if we were to say to companies like, hey, we want you to work on a work from home strategy to move your whole move your whole organization to work from home. They'd be like, OK, we'll work on that. It's going to take us like 18 months and a billion dollars of consulting to figure out how to make that work. Or you could just do it. Turns out, turns out you could just do it. It was fine. That's like a really surprising and interesting result. So I'm hoping we kind of learn from that. I don't know if we will. We might. I can see the opposite happening too, and everyone being like, "I never want any change again." Well, and, and and the interesting thing is, is that the change begets more change, right? Like people who are now, you know, thrust into working from home. If they had been maybe a bit proactive about it, because it's not like it's a new thing. Remote work is. It's just yeah. there was a trust problem, right? Like I don't, yeah. I don't see the people working. Therefore, yeah. I don't know that they're working. But then when, <laughs> but then the thrust so of, sad. you know, it, which is, which, but now what's so going to happen is, 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 um, and it's like this idea of second, you know, cause and effect, second order, think whatever you want to talk about where it's like, okay, um, now you've got companies going, oh, this is working. Well, we don't need this massive office complex in downtown right. Manhattan. And then downtown Manhattan, all of a sudden you've got massive amounts of real estate available Sure. And the real, so, you know, I mean, in a, the ability, I think that's going to be the next thing, the next, the next wave of things is going to be, oh, now we, uh oh, what's going on with commercial real estate? Oh my goodness. Internet at home prices go up because there's nobody using it from, sure, from their sure. work. So I think that there's always going to be these things happening and nothing stays the same. And, uh-huh. and I think that the best we can do is, I mean, we have to keep innovating you know, small steps, big steps, however you want to, I think small steps lead to bigger steps in that front, but then where you can find certainty, um, know that that may too only be temporary, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it is, I mean, it, absolutely. It's, it's not that it may be temporary. It is. Temporary. No. Yeah. I mean, it's gonna be, that's that I think is the really important thing to get is like, Oh, like if you're, if what you're doing is running around trying to find certainty, which I think most of us sort of naturally do, it's like, yep. Oh, you're just playing a losing game forever. If you're trying to find permanence and certainty, it's like, Oh, you're never, you're either kidding yourself or losing. <laughs> just again yep. and again. And again yeah. Yep. Misha, before I let you go, uh, I want to ask you one final question. Um, mm-hmm. What's one simple action someone can take to kind of stay connected and, and keep conversations flowing during times where they feel like they have no element of control, like how can they kind of keep things going when maybe they can't see each other, you know, where they're, where they're feeling like, and, and they don't necessarily uh, like the, like the idea of, you know, technology and the way that they're dealing with it and whatnot. Like what, what are some things people can do to just kind of either lean into that a little bit more like, Hey, you know what the technology is, is what we need to be using or just to feel a little bit more connected when, you know, they may not feel connected at all. Try to get a realistic sense of what the risks are, where you are and where you live. Because I think one thing that happened here in Toronto is like during the summer, it was pretty safe to go outside and have coffee with someone. And I think a lot of people didn't quite grok that. And it's too bad because I think a lot of people missed their chance to go outside and have coffee with someone. So I think one thing is to try to understand the distinction between what's dangerous and what's scary. And if things are scary, but not dangerous, maybe try to do them. Because I think for a lot of people in Toronto, going out and having a coffee with someone was scary, but not dangerous. And getting past that's important. Right. I guess another thing that's scary and not, and not dangerous in a very different way is kind of reaching out socially. And so I think one thing to think about is if you are in a, in a situation where you really need, where your connections really need to be virtual, is to err on the side of reaching out, you know, to reach out to people you might not reach out to normally, to maybe be a bit more vulnerable than you otherwise would to talk about that. If you're feeling isolated, maybe to talk about the fact that you feel isolated. I think there's a real taboo about that, but 
I did this birthday party with my dad this weekend and we, uh, a big part of what we were trying to do is just get him reconnected to people. And, and the one thing, and one thing that came from that too, that I'll share with, I know you asked for a quick point. No, no. A quick point that, that I, I think to really think about for people that, that for me has been a very exciting part of this time is to realize that if you are in a place where you're really in lockdown, a friend of mine shared this comment in social media, it really struck me. And when we were really in lockdown, she was like, you know, when we're in lockdown, my friend down the block is just as far as close as my friend in England. And to reconsider your social networks in those ways. And so I think one thing that for me has been really powerful about this time has been connecting a lot more closely with a lot of my friends from who live in different cities, with a lot of my friends who maybe I fell out of touch with because they moved away. So really think about the fact that like, you know, you can meet for half an hour for coffee with, you know, that person who moved across the country, if you're doing it on Zoom, just as easily as with someone else. And you can also have a, you can have a cocktail party where you get together six friends who haven't seen each other since college, or you can, so to really see those opportunities that come from being online and, and, and the opportunities to connect across geography and different times in your life. I think for me and for a lot of people I know, that's been really powerful. So that's something I would share. I'll stop now. Misha, this has been a great conversation. I love so how nice to talk to just you. the flow has been great. And um, where can people keep up with you and your work so that they can learn more about you? I have a website. If you mm-hmm. if you type Misha Globerman into Google, you just spell it however you think it's spelled. It doesn't matter. Good AI will fix it for you. If you type Misha Globerman into Google, you'll find me. Probably the, the best place to best place to follow me really is probably I have an email list. And if you get on that email list, it'll let you know when I'm doing classes and things like that, which will probably start to be online more. I'm, I'm on Twitter too. I don't do much on Twitter. Um, so I don't know, LinkedIn. <laughs> connect to me on LinkedIn or just drop by. Drop by. I'm in the phone book. I mean, you did find it, Toronto. Misha, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today on the Productivity Podcast. So great to talk to you. I think this is an episode that we'll need to return to on several occasions, especially once things start to open up a little bit, depending on where you are in the world. But I really want to thank Misha for taking the time to join me today. If you want to make sure that you hear other episodes like this one with great guests, like this one, then I want you to subscribe to the podcast. Sure, you're going to be able to not only hear what's coming down the pipeline very easily in this podcast app that you're listening to this program in right now, just by hitting the subscribe button, but also you're going to be able to easily search the archives, easy for me to say, uh, (laughs) and be able to listen to past episodes featuring guests like Derek Sivers, Gretchen Rubin, Laura Vanderkam, Chris Bailey, Cal Newport, etc, etc. There is a plethora of podcast episodes for you to explore. And it's far easier when you subscribe to the podcast to make that happen. So I want you to hit that subscribe button now in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you are listening to this, that way you don't miss a single episode of the program going forward. Now it's time for me to go forward and for you to go forward with the rest of your day, your week, your month, whatever. I hope to see you again next time. Until then, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of the Productivity is Podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. I'll see you later.